0: You are now listening to the Claim It podcast with me, your host, Trisha Huffman, your joyologist. On this podcast, I have conversations with people who intrigue and inspire me. I love getting into their life stories, their life journeys, and not just talking about their most recent accomplishment and what they're up to now. But we, of course, get to that. I like hearing about people's stories because hopefully it will empower you to get out of your own way to see that a lot of people's lives aren't a straight line, that you can make a change and make a choice at any time. On today's episode, I have Tamara Winfrey Harris. She has a couple books out The second edition with a new chapter of her first book just came out, The Sisters Are All Right, Changing the Broken Narrative of Black Women in America. She also has an amazing book called Dear Black Girl, Letters from Your Sisters on Stepping Into Your Power. She's written for countless outlets, including New York Times, Atlantic, Los Angeles Times, so much more. I really enjoyed talking to her and learning about how these books came to be. So let's get into it. And oh, reminder, if you haven't yet, hit subscribe and leave a review for the podcast. That really helps. And if you screenshot it and send it to me at podcast at yourjoelagist.com, I'll send you a little gift from my product line. Here we go. I love starting with getting to know What was life like for you growing up? And I especially like talking about the high school years because I feel like there can be so much like you're trying to figure out like what the rest of your life is going to look like, which is so ridiculous, (laughs) right? So ridiculous. (laughs) But some people it's like they have like, oh, this is what I should be doing. Or maybe you had this big dream of what you were doing. So you can go earlier than that. But I especially love hearing about high school ages.
1: So I grew up in Gary, Indiana. So for for people who only know The Music Man, (laughs) it's in the northwest corner of uh, uh, Indiana on Lake Michigan. It's on the Great Lakes. It's right outside of Chicago and the home of the Jackson Five. So I grew up on the lake with my parents and younger brother and sister and I was a really bookish, nerdy kid who always read at the dinner table, um, and I dreamed of writing a book. I really, I really, really, really did, <laughs> really, really, really did, even as a kid. Um, and I was one of the, I was one of those A students that was always focused on achieving. Um, and you know, getting good grades and reading. You know, I, I went to journalism camp, not real camp. Whoa, you so, went to journalism so that's what, camp that's, as a—that's the level of nerdiness. It was like books and also Duran Duran. That's what that's what I enjoyed in my high school years.
0: <laughs> and do you like looking back, um, especially since you mentioned like having us focus on achieving? Do you know, like, where that could have stemmed from? Like, was there any pressure from your family or just, like, getting the, like, you know, was there, like, oh, the good job, like, you know, like, getting reinforcement
1: or did you just, you don't know, you just really loved, like, d- You know, probably yes and. Like, I you know, I come from a high-achieving family and I think, okay. you know, I think a lot of Black women, a lot of Black people will recognize the idea of being told by your parents, like, you have to be twice as good. And you have to be like in order to get ahead. And so I certainly heard those things. And then also, you know, I've, I've talked to a lot of people who like me were like, you know, the gifted and talented kids. And, you know, you get addicted to the praise that you get for achieving and being, you know, the first and getting all A's and, you know, the, you know, winning the science fair and the essay contest. And so, yeah, I was a type A who you know, kid? Who read everything from like my mom's Judith Kranz to like books that were far older than what I should have been reading? Um, all the Flowers in the Attic series, and yeah,
0: <laughs> I love that. So yeah, so you remember from a young age though that that was just also that your parents were clear, like. Hey, because of the color of your skin, you need to work extra hard, or you're gonna need to like prove yourself. You need to be prepared. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, so when you then were in high school and like graduating, you took journalism camps and stuff like that. Was that something? Did you were you like, okay, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna be a journalist? Yes. That, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was at like I was super clear, even when I was like, what I wanted to do. So I was a journalism major and went to school and studied journalism and came out of college and worked at a newspaper.
0: Wow. <laughs> and how was that? Like, and was when you imagined journalism? Yeah, did you have like a vision of what like your dream? Because journalism can be a vast area right yeah. like so was working at a newspaper your dream of that you're like a first step or like yeah like where like when you're like yeah a teenager laying in bed at night like what did you imagine well you did say you wanted to write a book from a young age too it
1: totally was not ju- the journalism I actually got into which was working at the, on the night desk as a copy editor was not the vision I had right. you know <laughs> mine was what? more no. like <laughs> Mine was, you know, from watching episodes of Mary Tyler Moore. And I was like, ooh, I want to be like the the cool single journalist in like the city with my own apartment. And it was very different <laughs> from what a copy desk is is like. Um, But that was. But you did
0: like see, like, oh, a newspaper or a magazine, like a magazine.
1: You know, I really wanted to be, you know, well, it was before Carrie Bradshaw existed, but like that was in my head, like, you know, writing for like a women's magazine and glamour. I wanted the journalism, but the glamour along with it.
0: Wait, no, did you like really imagine like writing for, yeah, like a
1: glamour magazine? Or like, yeah, like a, like a glamour or cosmopolitan or... And
0: were you interested in that? Because, yeah, I'm flashing from you're like, oh, I was just so bookish and this. But were you also like you were shy and you were into reading and journalism, but you were like looking through fashion
1: magazines and stuff? So. I totally was. Like, I, like, it was weird. It was like, I, you know, I've always been like an introvert and a bookish kid. But then I always liked, like our glamour. And I always had, you know, Mademoiselle and, you know, 17 and like reading those men ma- and... and you know, dreaming of like what a different life would look like after I graduated that wasn't as like a kid in a mid-sized city in the Midwest.
0: Got it. So (laughs) did you imagine then like moving to a big city
1: also? Yes. And I tried so hard to get to like the East Coast or something for college. You know, I applied to all of these schools and then Iowa State offered me um, offered me a full scholarship. And so oh. I ended up in Ames, Iowa. So
0: it's hard to turn down it, a full scholarship. It, right. <laughs>
1: but you know, at now I know how much that full scholarship was worth. But at the time I was like, are you kidding me? Like from Gary, Indiana to, Iowa. Ames, to Ames, Iowa, like what kind of glow up is that? <laughs>
0: But so you ended, so you went to school in Iowa and then you, you get your first job at a newspaper. Where did where was the newspaper? The at? newspaper was back in Gary,
1: Indiana. Okay, it was so the Post Tribune. Home. Yep, and I wrote, um, I first started out writing Obits and Weather.
0: You're living the dream, but that's where <laughs> you, <laughs> you got to start. That dream. is where
1: <laughs> 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 Obits, Weather, and I also filled in the lottery numbers. <laughs> <laughs>
0: And so where did you go from there? Did you end up staying at that newspaper and moving up? Did you change to a different type of journalism? I, I
1: quickly moved to the dark side. So I, I was in journalism for about three, three years, three or four years, and I moved to PR. Um, so that, oh. that's where I got my taste of living in the big city. I moved to Chicago um, and I started working for a PR agency and spent the next several years like doing consumer marketing um, and public relations. So,
0: and what initiated yeah. that change? Was it like, I want my chance in the city and like just looking for a job? Or like, yeah, hey, how did you, what made you move to PR?
1: It was so, you know, part of it was, yes, I want to move to the big city. I kind of, you know, I don't want to work on the night desk anymore. Uh, um, And I'd already, you know, I'd heard a little bit about public relations. It sounded interesting. It sounded like it utilized, you know, some of the skills that I had in journalism, but in a different way. And so it sounded exciting to me.
0: And so, um, yeah. So how did that end up? How was living in New York City and doing PR? Or not New York City, Chicago. Chicago. I don't know why I jumped to New York City. My Carrie Bradshaw. (laughs)
1: Got to carry Bradshaw. Actually, it was awesome. It like that was the period of my life where I got to live out my fantasies. So I got to be the like single woman in the city with my apartment and you know my PR job that allowed me to travel and be exposed to things like new things that I hadn't experienced before as a kid. Um, and so I lived in Chicago for almost a decade and did a variety of different. Like a lot of like a lot of corporate public relations and some like not for profit. I worked at the Museum of Science and Industry, which was really cool to work in a building with a, like a 747 in it. That's kind of neat. Um, so, yeah, that's what I got to live out my my dreams of what young city live, single city living would look like.
0: Yeah, I um, I went to Columbia College. So I oh, lived in Chicago cool. yeah. for college and loved it. And that was an amazing experience for that time of my life also. But yeah, so it sounds like you you switched jobs a little bit while you were there. So yeah, was that too, like sort of like, okay, I love being in Chicago and then, but like trying just different things out, like, yeah, like you go from PR, corporate PR, and then when you were working for the museum, was that also PR? That was PR
1: too. So I worked in corporate, like agency public relations for quite a long time for, but you know, once I got married and I turned 30, like the agency life was just super punishing. It was just like long hours, lots of travel. I started to get burnt out. Um, And so I, it had kind of also been a dream to work in a museum, back to my bookish side. Um, and so, you know, there was a job. That's so city, sweet. Like, I just
0: was like, like, I want to like, right. it was also a dream to work in a museum. Right. <laughs> Those are not my dreams, and I love that dream right. <laughs> for you. Like right. that was like I just had to like pause for a minute I'm right. like that's I that sentence just came out of her mouth. That's right. amazing, right. <laughs> and that you made it happen. Uh, yes. I'm gonna stop PR and I'm an gonna an go. bird,
1: You know, BR, PR, Bradshaw, <laughs> I'm gonna make my dream come true. I'm museums, working at the museum. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's and amazing. Did. And you did, it. yeah. And I did, um, and oh, I, right. I worked at the Museum of Science and Industry in Chicago. Um, I'm laughing, but yeah. that's a
0: big thing, though, because I'm guessing, yeah, you were probably, you know, doing, yeah, doing a lot, maybe making more money, traveling. Like, it looked like a night of like cooler job, a more f- like a oh, successful job, and then let me go work at the museum. <laughs> but yeah. right, was it sort of that? Did you had did you get any like from talk
1: from anybody of like you're going to do what? Right, it's like, huh? Like what? <laughs> Well, and you know, and I took I took a salary cut, a substantial yeah. one, to go work at a museum. But I think it was it was smart. I wouldn't I wouldn't change it for anything. Like it took my career in a different direction. And like I'm glad I started off where I like I'm I'm glad I had that time working in agencies and all because I learned a ton of stuff, but I could not have done it longer than what I did. But yeah, that's huge
0: to see like, okay, this is great. I did it. This pace is no longer for me. I'm going to take a pay cut to do something that I think might like be maybe more fulfilling. Maybe just you get more of your own life back, more joy. Is that –
1: did that do that for you by switching? It did. And I agree. Like it was – completely a privilege. Like, you know, most people can't just say, oh, I I'm gonna I'm gonna say was very lucky to be able to do that. And I'd lucky I had, I had married like a year before, which is also what allowed me to do that and make that shift. Um, but it did it, you know, I got back some work life balance that I that had been missing for a long time. And um, so then
0: where did you go from then after working at the museum? So
1: then, so I, you know, I got married um, and, and gained two awesome bonus children. Um, And suddenly after a few years, the little, little condo my husband and I had in Chicago, we started outgrowing it and we started looking for second tier cities Um, that we might move to that might be a little more livable than Chicago with its high mortgages and rents and all of those things. So we moved to Indianapolis, where I again worked at a museum for 12 years in public relations, this time a museum of Native Americans and Western art. (laughs) And so I did that for 12 years before finally landing at a community foundation.
0: And so how did, did you end up in Indianapolis? Like, were you both looking for job opportunities in like, yeah, what did you say? Second
1: tier? Like sec- or second how- tier city. Whatever. So, not, yeah. so were you
0: like sort of looking around and figuring out for like, is that how like they had a job opening? And so that how you landed there? Or how did you land in Indianapolis and then also get a PR position at museum? Like that kind of so, seems
1: like we were looking, but yeah, I know. I, like, <laughs> It, you know when you say it back to me, it does sound strange, <laughs> like um, amazing.
0: <laughs> but I'm like, wow, they they just happen to have a PR position.
1: <laughs> Strangely, they did. So, like, we so we wanted to stay close because you know my my stepson's and stepdaughter's mom was in Chicago, so you know we didn't want to move across the country. Um, so we were looking at like Minneapolis and Milwaukee and Detroit and Indianapolis. And my sister, who was already in Indianapolis. Like, was like the visitors bureau or something. Like, she launched, she like launched this campaign, moved to Indianapolis. Uh, so, we came down, we visited her. I started looking for jobs, and lo and behold, there was a museum with a job opening <laughs> in VR <laughs> and marketing. Um, and so, we moved to Indianapolis in 2004. Um, And, you know, that's also the time in my life where I started writing again for myself, which led to my eventual books. And what, yeah, what
0: initiated, like the writing, was it sort of, did you have more personal time? Did you just like feel this itch? Like, yeah, what led to you starting to write after? And I don't know, maybe you had been a little bit throughout that time too, but just like, yeah, what
1: opened that up? It was kind of two things. One, you know, I was in a new city. I mean, my sister was here, but I didn't know a lot of people. So I didn't have like the life and the connections that I had when we left Chicago. So I had more time to write and do things like that. And it was also that I moved to a place that was a lot less diverse than Chicago is. So we actually live in the northern suburbs of Indianapolis, in a place where there aren't a lot of people of color. And so you are never as aware of like race and things like that as when you look around and don't see anyone like you. Um, and so actually when I started writing again, I wrote about race and gender, which actually emerged as my specialty in writing. And I start, I, I launched a blog called what Tammy said back in the day when blogging was cool.
0: What, <laughs> wait, what year did you start your blog? To so be like, 2006, maybe? Oh, that, yeah, no, I feel like I started a blog on Blogspot in, like, 2009. Yes, and that was, was a Blogspot like,
1: blog. Yes, it was. Yeah. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. Does that even exist anymore? Yes. I don't think.
0: <laughs> I You know what, I think, like, I bet if you went to look, for, like, I think if I went to look my blog, it would still be, like, there, like, I think maybe their hosting is still up, but I don't okay. know if it's, like, active. <laughs> so you started in two, so, yeah, like, that is so funny, cause yeah, back then too. Cause when I started a blog, it wasn't like, oh, everybody's gonna find this and read it. It was sort of just like a way for me to journal. That felt easy.
1: Yeah. Oh no one. Is was that reading. how yours sort of yeah, started? No one was Like, it, right? <laughs>
0: like is that how yours started? Like, oh, okay, I feel like I want to write this thing. Like, I was writing it like about my personal experience that day or whatever. Too, it was like very about my like life and not like this is gonna change people's lives. It was. I was like, if anybody reads this, that would be really weird.
1: And then people started reading it. But (laughs) I mean, I was kind of writing my opinions on things, but I didn't think anyone was really reading it. And so, like, I guess it was a way to start writing again and put my writing out there, but not really out there, (laughs) you know? But so it
0: would be inspired by, would it be inspired by like things that you were noticing as, living in an area that wasn't diverse or just, like, noticing that how you would feel or, yeah, like, reaction, like, yeah. A lot
1: of it was driven by, like, politics, popular culture or current events and, like, commenting on those things that were happening. Um, And so, yeah, so it helped me flex my writing muscles again because a lot of it, like, if you remember the early days of blogging, like, it was all about current events. It's like, ooh, something happens Beyonce did something. Everybody go write about it. So you know, it was like this daily grind of ooh, got to get a story up, um, which was kind of cool. It was exciting at the time. I feel like I blogged every day, I and I didn't that. have that many followers either. <laughs> <It's> so interesting. <laughs> and I, you know, it's so funny that now, like. When I've sat down to like write my books or write a proposal and I try to like give myself a 5,000, you know, you're going to write 500 words today. Like I have such a hard time. And at the time I was like cranking out these long diatribes.
0: (laughs) my first book comes out next year so uh, yes I like have just got like I just turned in my last round of edits but yeah like I understand this I was like I used to write a blog every day and like (laughs) now now I get my chance to like write my book and I'm like Trisha here. I'm super excited to announce that I'm going to be doing something for the first time in 10 years. I can't believe that. I'm offering some standalone online workshops. I haven't done this in 10 years. I lead courses. I do one-on-one coaching. I do speaking, but I haven't just offered workshops online that you can join from around the world. So, go check them out. There is going to be three of them. You can buy a ticket for just one for all three as a bundle. If you can't make them live, there will be, of course, recordings that you can watch forever. Of course, it's great to show up live because then you're going to be more in the moment and be able to ask questions and get support. There will be space in each workshop for you to be doing work. So yes, I'll be sharing information with you and then it will be like, okay, like giving you, let's do this, journal about this right now, explore this. And so be walking you through steps that it's not just gonna be you listening to me talk about something like a podcast, because I love to talk about things, you know that too. But we'll actually be having you engage to be doing the work. I've got a couple different topics, so go check it out. Go to yourdryologist.com backslash workshops and you will see the information there course you can go download my daily inspiration app called own your awesome in the app store shop my products shop.yourdiogist.com and feel free to look up my one-on-one coaching at yourdiogist.com backslash coaching all right i hope to see you there and let's get back to the episode so, too, when you're saying like it was mostly about current events and stuff, too, was that well, you said that that was a lot of like blogs that you were writing to. But I wonder, too, was it because did you did it part of the writing it on the blog? Would it have been because like since you moved and you didn't have as many people to like would it have been things that you at home in Chicago you would have been just like talking to your friend about? Like, did you hear this? And more like, oh, I don't know if I have that person here. So let me write it or no. It was. Just- yeah, you
1: know, I never thought about that. But yeah, I think that was part of it. And I think it was also because what was like really cool, what got me so excited about blogs back in the day was that all of a sudden you were hearing all of these voices that you normally wouldn't hear. Like I was just telling someone earlier today, like if you think about who was able to like write about things or whose voices were amplified, like on television or on radio, it was a lot more male. It was a lot more white than like it is today. So like no one was taking current events and going, how does that affect women? It was like whatever old white guy was going to report on it on on the news that night, you know? Um, And no one was saying like, how does that impact black women? And so, but on these blogs, people were talking about that. And people were talking about being a Midwesterner. They were talking about being a black woman. And they were like, they were talking about all of these things that no one was talking about anywhere else. And so that was exciting too, to like add my voice to kind of all of those new No, that totally makes sense. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So that, so it just started as like this avenue. And then when did you feel like it was like. I think I'm writing a book or I think I could write a book or I think I want to write a book like for real, like (laughs) commit to this.
1: It was probably after a few years, my blog actually like gained actual real readers and I, and it, my blogging career actually morphed into my actually being a writer, freelance writer and getting published
0: in oh, the media. Awesome. So
1: actually being the journalist that I dreamed of being like... So does that mean like ago? you
0: left your museum job even? Or was this like still like just on the side?
1: Like, okay, I'm blogging and then, oh, you want me to write for this also? Oh, I I, I still... No, I was still... A, I, whenever anyone asked me that, I was like, you greatly overestimate how much freelance writers make. <laughs> I thought you were still being at the museum, but I just wanted... <laughs> I was like, to 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 be clear, I was still at the museum and still am working.
0: Well, I, I also lucky. make up freelance writers being an underpaid. And then I, I'm sure also uh, I am a white woman, obviously. But I, yeah, as they say with black women that I'm guessing even less uh-huh. of, oh, right. A black woman wants to share a story. Like how lucky we can put you on our thing here. Like that there's probably even less of the like offer for monetary exchange. Yeah. A
1: lot of offers to write for exposure. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, which in one way is exciting. Yeah, probably. And at, at, like, there comes a point like, okay, I'm I'm, ex- I'm fully exposed. Yeah. Now I could use actual money.
0: <laughs> so, and yeah. And like, did you go through that journey of like, oh my gosh, they're asking me to say this or contribute for this and like being yes. And then being like, wait, I need to be getting paid for this.
1: Yeah, I think you know, and I what I don't know about you, but I feel like a lot of writers go through that at what point am I le- do do I feel legit enough to say no to writing for free or writing for, you know, hey, we'd like 3000 words and we'll send you like a subway gift certificate and <laughs> you know, enjoy, you know, like at what point you make that transition because at the beginning it was useful that I was able to showcase my writing in places with a lot of readers but maybe where I wasn't paid so yeah Yeah. there was a point where I'm like okay how does this work yeah you know but is
0: that also though them getting more requests for you to write or share for that too so then is that when yeah what what I originally had asked in this and like that you started to be like oh I have more to say. Did someone approach you about the idea to writing a book? Or did you be like, okay, I'm doing this?
1: It was me. I was like, okay, I'm doing this. I'm ready to, like, this is a dream that I've had. And I think I'm ready to do it now. And it was also because I found a topic that I was passionate about, which at the time, when I was working on my first book, there was all this conversation about Black women in marriage and about the fact that when the 2010 census came out, that black women were half as likely to marry as white women. Um, And of course, because of sexism and racism, um, the explanation was of course, well, there must be something wrong with black women because whenever women are unmarried, it's clearly because there's something wrong with them. Seriously, it's clearly because there's something clearly wrong with the women. Not that they couldn't, <laughs> there's, there's as men are in the book. like, think about like a few years ago, George Clooney, when he was single was like, isn't that cool? He's a bachelor and he's rich and he's got a mansion. But then, you know, you talk about Jennifer Aniston. It's like, oh, you sad sack. Why? Oh, she can't keep a man and how (laughs)
0: sad she doesn't have kids. And like, yeah,
1: exactly. So, you know, that. So, you know, it was that discussion that really Bugged me. And I started working on a book that was going to be about, you know, Black women and um, marriage. But as I started exploring and as I talked to my publisher, it's like, you know what? The stereotypes that underpin that discussion about Black women underpin a whole lot of discussions about Black women. So, you know, why don't we make this bigger and talk about, you know, how. These stereotypes have followed Black women and affect how people view us when we talk about a lot of things beyond marriage. So when
0: you said you're a publisher, so does that mean you pitched and sold a book on the topic of women in marriage? And then after you got the deal, we're like, we need to open this up a lot more. So it
1: was like, it was, I I, I gave them a proposal about a book on Black women in marriage and they came back and said, "We love this, but would you make it bigger?" And I was, like, oh. and I was like, "Sure." <laughs> and and so and so then I got the deal on the strength of that.
0: Got it. Yeah. And so yeah. So once you started to dive into that, like, I almost feel like too is that like too big of a like? How did you? <laughs> You know, like how did you figure out like what to focus on? Because I imagine that it's like once you open it up beyond marriage, then it's like, oh my gosh, what do I talk about? What do I focus on? So to I kinda, fit into one book.
1: I, I kind of started with the stereotypes themselves, so which are you know the Jezebel, Mammy, Sapphire, and the matriarch,
0: and then started. What's wait?
1: What's well, yeah, I could make up what I think. So what, yeah, what What would you say is Jezebel? So Jezebel is the idea that black women are like hypersexual, seductresses, you know, kind of innately, you know, unrapeable, like always up for it, like that view. of Oh, of wow. Women. So
0: unrapeable meaning so if anything had happened, like, no, she obviously wasn't raped because she's highly sexual. or Exactly.
1: So most of these are like rooted in antebellum America. So it's like, how do you make enslaving people conscionable? You have to kind of position them as not human. And so the idea of the Jezebel came out of, you know, Black women were used to breed new human property. Like that, that was the reality. So you can't believe that Black women have agency over their own sexuality or as, as they believed about white women at the time that, you know, they're pure and chaste and in need of protection. Like you can't believe that. And so you have to craft kind of this other caricature
0: that they're highly yeah. sexual. So yeah. they can't help. And then you said mammy and then jet Sapphire Sapphire. Yeah.
1: Sapphire. So, I was thinking
0: of like yeah. a different... <laughs> you're,
1: you're okay. like, Wait a minute, emerald? Like, what is it? Uh, so that's the idea of, you know, that Black women are kind of angry and aggressive, strong, um, you know, maybe kind of beasts of burden, like more masculine. And, you know, that obviously you need Black women to work alongside men and do heavy and hard work. So again, they can't be gentle and delicate and you got to put on a pedestal and put down like doesn't work that way. And then there's Mammy. So the idea that black women are made for servitude and don't have desires and needs of their own because you need black women to raise other people's families and not their own families. And you also need black women to, to be thought of as unattractive to white men. Um, so which is why you often see Mammy portrayed, she's dark skinned, she's fat, You know, her hair is covered nothing wrong with any of those things but they're kind of the opposite of what we're told is beautiful and then the last stereotype is the matriarch so that came to be like in the mid 20th century so there was a report put out by the government in the mid 60s so before the civil rights act was signed so you know my my paternal grandparents in Mississippi couldn't even vote at that time but the report said that the real problem with black communities and black families was that there were too many Black women heading households. So this is at a time where like half of us can't even vote. And it's like, nah, it's not that systemic racism stuff. It's that you Black women just don't know how to be good wives and mothers. And if you would get it together, then things would be better. So, you know, so I started with those stereotypes. And those are the things that underpin the marriage discussion and discussions about us and beauty and like motherhood and anger and health. So that's what I did. I started then looking at the ways those stereotypes have followed us over centuries.
0: And so, yeah, like did that turn into you doing a lot of like, was it a lot of stuff like I'm guessing you like knew, but then did you dive into like real research? Yeah, because you're like naming dates now and stuff like that. Was that stuff that you dove into when really like, okay, let's look at this? where did these things come from? It kind
1: of, what it ended up being was kind of a culmination of a lot of the work that I had been doing up until then on my blog and through freelance writing, because I had done, it's, it's almost how I'd done it the opposite way. I had done a lot of work, like, again, critiquing current events and popular culture and stuff through this lens of bias against Black women. So, you know, I was able to pull on all of that stuff to create this book. And then I also interviewed like a hundred black women about what their lives were really like. So that was the new and exciting part.
0: That I'm like, I love talking to you obviously. So that sounds really exciting.
1: (laughs) And it was like free therapy. It was awesome.
0: (laughs) Right. Right. And what was the like reactions and how did you find the 100 women? And like, what, you know, like were people eager to share
1: or was it mixed reactions It really was sometimes I was surprised at how open people were willing to be. I'm like, no, I don't know me. There's no reason why they should be open with me. But sometimes a woman would tell me something and I would go, Wow, okay. I you know, I didn't expect you to be so open. But I think um I think black women were happy to hear someone say that I care about what you have to say and I wanna listen. I want to listen to your story. And so I think women started talking and they were kind of able to open up about a lot of things that they probably wouldn't normally talk about.
0: Yeah. I mean, they might even been things they haven't really talked about with people before. Because in one thing, too, you're sort of like an unbiased person Like, yeah, you are there like, I want to hear your story. And that may be because you don't know you know, the things. Yeah, I bet that was actually like really healing for people to get to share with you.
1: And maybe like, I'm a black woman. So they felt a commonality, but I'm not necessarily someone they know. Right. So you know, I'm not I'm not someone who's going to go back and tell their family or or like bring it up later. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. I'll never see you again. I'll tell you everything, you know. And
0: so was this book, that you're right because you said the first book is was it the, the book the sisters are all right
1: or did it was yeah, yeah okay it was but yeah because right.
0: right now the second mm-hmm. edition just came out so did you write another book between?
1: I did. This, I wrote okay. "Dear Black Girl: Letters from Your Sisters on Stepping Into Your Power," which came out earlier this year.
0: Oh my goodness! You had okay, so you had a new book come out this year, <laughs> and that <laughs> and so was that is that dear is that all letters to like that you wrote?
1: I actually gathered letters. So here's the weird thing that I found when I was touring around with the first edition of the sisters are all right, which came out in 2015. Okay. I realized sometimes when I would get together with groups of women and we would talk about stereotypes, they would reject those stereotypes for themselves. But then when they started talking about younger women and girls, all of a sudden they would use the same language of stereotype that they had just rejected for themselves. So, and does that I,
0: mean that they would be like, reject it? Like, oh, I don't get stereotyped that way? Or like, those don't. No.
1: Okay. I'll tell you exactly the okay, moment please. that struck me. It was I was in a group of women, and it was an older woman. It was an older black woman. And she's like, I, I don't know what it is with these younger women. They're awfully free with their bodies. I, I guess they call it some kind of liberation. And she just looked, oh, it was, it was very like, Ugh, I can't. So, it was like, I reject the Jezebel like label, but I'm talking about younger women as if they as if they are Jezebels.
0: Got it. <laughs> so So she wasn't seeing that e- that the stereotypes were even, you know, like embedded in her as a black woman that she was stereotyping sort of ex- Exactly. Other.
1: And so what the the reality is is racism and sexism is part of like the air we breathe in American society and we're all breathing it, right? Even black women. Um, And I think there's the added pressure of, you know, we want for our daughters and nieces and sisters, like we want them to be okay. And we know that American society doesn't give black women a lot of grace or second chances. And so we fear for them. And so sometimes our advice to them to, to get along actually ends up reinforcing some of the stereotypes about us. So when I talked to girls, some of them said, well, yeah, the first person to, told, to tell me that I should stay out of the sun because I didn't want to get too dark was my grandmother. Or the first person that told me don't wear that because on your body it makes you look available was like my aunt. And so I believe that if Black women, if we as women approach younger women and girls with vulnerability and sharing our stories instead of wagging our fingers, that we can love each other better. So for Dear Black Girl, I asked like about 34 Black women, diverse Black women to just talk about their stories and tell their stories and tell them in a loving way and an open way to Black girls
0: love that that's so powerful and i can see like yeah like the sort of advice i mean the same you know, not same different but just yeah everything in the sexism and just stuff where it seems like parents or loved ones are trying to protect people in you know, in many ways so giving the advice like oh stay out of the sun because they've got yes. It. oh no it's whatever but then really then that is then perpetuating it more like wait is something wrong with me because then my skin does
1: get darker or what like
0: yeah. Right. So, like, you know, the,
1: there's a comparison to, like, the the argument over some older women and younger women around Me Too and, like, harassment in the workplace. And, you, you know, I've heard older women go, well, you like, I mean, yeah, that's what you do. And you, you just put up with it. That's just, just how it just is. What do you that's mean? That's how it is. And you just don't wear that, <laughs> you know? So the message is, wait a minute, if I wear this, like, are you saying that they're right? Are you saying because I wear this, it's an invitation? So it's 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 difficult sometimes.
0: Yeah, I love that you saw that and then were empowered to write this book that way. And so when it's letters, though, you said that they're sharing their stories. So is it a, the, these people are sharing their stories and writing a letter, like sort of an advice to like, I experienced this. So don't you know, like you do that or something? Is it that? So sort some,
1: of- like some of it is advice? So, you know, I start off with, like, you know, women talking about just general inspiration and identity. Um, I end by, like, sh- when Black women sharing advice. But in the middle, like, there are Black women telling stories about what it's like to be trans. Like, a trans woman talks about the first time she looked at herself in the mirror um, in her bra and panties and how she felt. Um, Black women, I mean, talk about surviving sexual assault. There's a woman who talks about um, being incarcerated as a juvenile. Um, there are other women who talk about like well, there's a woman who talks about being raised by her grandparents. There are women who talk about how to be a good friend. Um, women who talk about like beauty, like what makes them feel beautiful and finally loving their hair after years. Like I say, just just talk about things that have experienced to you, like what would your 16-year-old self need to hear?
0: Love that. So great. And so then what Um, the Sisters are All Right coming out with, or well, I guess I need to read the subtitles. So. The Sisters are All Right changing the broken <laughs> narrative of black women in America. So second edition
1: out and you added a chapter. Is that right? I added a chapter and also, like, covered some topics that I didn't cover in the first edition, like... A um, lots, happen. ro- lot's happened. A <laughs> lot's happened. You know, happened. Kamala Harris, we've got a Black biracial woman as vice president, and Rihanna's a millionaire, a billionaire. So Rihanna's a billionaire with Fenty. So there's, like, this rise of the Black beauty aesthetic. And, you know, there's Black women. I added a chapter on power because there's Black women doing all this great community activism and political work like Stacy Abrams. And so I wanted to cover like all of, all of the, those new like evolutions.
0: And did I see that you have some sort of show in the works? So, Oh, um, so it's like inter- in one of those things where it's well, like, well, it's
1: wise entertainment, there. wise entertainment and Gabrielle unions production company. I'll have another option. The book to turn into a dramedy. So they're shopping it now, so I hope that sometime soon you will see sisters on a small screen near you.
0: <laughs> That's so exciting, and yeah, sending you all. Like I know that it's such a like the world where it's like, oh, this is, but you don't know, or that it could get bought, right. and then put on the, or it could get rushed, or right, yeah, a lot <laughs> up in the air. And maybe if it doesn't happen right now, it doesn't mean it's not happening. It might end up getting picked up for an even better (laughs) reason. But um, so how did that come to about? Was that you putting that
1: out there? Did someone come to you with like? It really, Wise Entertainment came to me. They read about, there was an article about my book in Gawker, which is like, was defunct. And now it's back. Like, so Gawker Media, back in the day, there was an article about the book and an interview about the book. And they saw it, read the book and loved it. Um, And so optioned it actually in the same year um, that it was released. Um, So these things take a lot of time. Everyone's like, "Aren't you excited?" I'm like, "Yes, but (laughs) don't look for me on the red carpet just yet." Right? There's a lot
0: of aspects in the Uh deal making, and then the actual once, even the deal making, the show making, and stuff. Yeah, but that's still so exciting. And what, so what's next for you or what, yeah, where are you still working at the museum?
1: I'm actually working at a community foundation, believe it or not. (laughs) That was not my dream. I never, I never thought of that, but I do enjoy it. I didn't even know what a community foundation was, but I I don't know what a community foundation is. So we exist. You probably have one in, you know, in your town. We, 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 we exist to make sure that like philanthropy in your community always meets the needs, the current needs. So I, there's this saying that this to avoid the tyranny of the dead hand. Like there's this story that people tell of like a guy that gave left millions of dollars in his will for horse troughs in the city, because we will always need horse troughs because that is how we are going to travel. That is not how we travel anymore. Got it. So making so people, sure the money is actually going to where it's needed. So people give money to sit in endowments at community foundations. And so we have folks that always know what's going on in the city. So we can give grants to not-for-profits who are doing good work. And uh-huh. we can help other individual philanthropists use their money in a way that helps the community and meets their values.
0: Oh, I was about to get to wrap it up, but I did want to ask, you know, I saw, I don't do talking points if you've noticed, but when I saw that in points that are sent to you that something about digital
1: blackface, what is digital blackface? So along with the rise of the black beauty aesthetic is this rise of influencers that kind of masquerade as black women or biracial black women on the internet. So, there are Instagram influencers that have tons of followers that, you know, tan their skin and sometimes get lip injections and sometimes adopt things like, you know, cornrows or, you know, faux locks or or things that are elements of, of beauty or style that you would associate with Black women. And very often their followers believe they are Black women. They are not, they are non Black women who have monetized you know elements of black beauty without any of the burden of actually being a black woman some people accuse like the kardashians of digital blackface because of the ways they have enhanced their bodies and tanned their skin and wear their hair and have made their lips bigger and their butts bigger and and you know things and yet are white women but even I, – I mean, I hear people debating whether or not they're actually white women. They are white women um, who have adopted elements of um, black style.
0: Interesting. Yeah, I was also wondering if it was even, like, uh, people using, like, the language, like, girl, this, or yeah. what are other words that – yeah, I, I, I do <laughs> yeah, see a lot of white did. women, like, always saying like, what are other ones? I know girl is like a big one.
1: Yeah. There, oh gosh. There was one. Oh, there was a controversy. There was like an influencer was like, yeah, sis. Queen or X like, oh, yeah, sis. And queen, yeah. And it's like, sis and- yeah. So sometimes that comes along with it. It's like this appropriation of language. Um, that's not yours, you know?
0: Yeah. Okay. And like, yeah. So is that for people out there who might be using that lingo and not realize that it might not be yeah is that like from a black woman like seeing white women throwing those words around like yeah does that feel like no you don't need to do that like is it disrespectful is it just like
1: makes you roll your eyes or like you know like you know it's more it's more on the eye rolling level like it's not you know i'm not gonna like lead a march in front of your house but it's it's kind of like (laughs) you know it's kind of like is that organic to you and, you know, you need to realize that, you know, when when we speak like this, like like that, like I have to be careful about using some of those words, say in like a professional setting or something. So, you know, think about what you're adopting without the, of the other half of it that people of color may have to struggle with. So, you know, there are white women who are wearing faux locks on Instagram and like with billions of followers and, you know, making tons of money but the 11th circuit court in the Southeast ruled that people can be fired and, and, you know, not hired because of locks, which I have. So, you know, I think that that's where the rub is. And that's what upsets people is that, you know, it's okay for you to adopt it. But for me, for whom it's organic, it's not okay. And
0: yeah, that makes it even more like less of an eye roll and just like yeah like right with especially that language where you have been maybe yeah like got like tr- no 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 you yeah. can't talk like that that's not professional or whatever like been right. told you can't teach like that and then or talk like that and then these people are just like throwing it around and not having to, right yeah got right. it yeah thank you I'm like yeah I was like I do want to ask about that okay I'm gonna <laughs> let you go last question what is what something you do to up your joy levels?
1: Oh, you know, I love being around women. I really do. I love being around my friends. And I've so missed that, you know, over this whole lockdown, and we can't all be in in one space. So that's the thing I'm really looking forward to. I had a, a, a cabin in Brown County in Indiana reserved The fall that like COVID hit, and all me, all my friends and I were gonna go. Oh my gosh, we were gonna drink moonshine. It was gonna be awesome. (laughs) There's hot tub, and and I had to cancel. So I cannot wait to be together with my girls (laughs) again.
0: Got that? I'm gonna ask one more question, if that's okay. Uh The name of the podcast is Claim It, because I feel so often we are putting like our feelings of being enough, worthy, fulfilled, successful out there. Like once I check this box, once I do this, but usually once we, if we do that, we just are chasing it and we'll put it on something different. And so I feel that whatever that thing is that we feel at chasing, we can do the work to claim it every day, no matter what we've done that day or in our life. So what are you claiming for yourself right now?
1: Oh my gosh, I'm claiming, claiming something for myself. And all my sisters everywhere, black, white, and otherwise. So I got my um, 200-hour yoga teacher training certificate last year. Um, And there's this mantra that you hear a lot at the the end of yoga class, for those of you who take yoga. So it's loka, samasta, sukino bhavantu, which is Sanskrit. And it means, may all beings be happy, healthy, safe, and free. And every time I hear that, it makes me feel joyful because what more does anyone want? So I, I wish that and claim that for myself and for all humanity.
0: Love that! Thank you so yeah. much. Thanks for your time and congratulations on um the second edition coming out. And I'm um, your show's going to happen at, it's happening. We're not <gasps> we're not sure the timing. The how, but happening.
1: <laughs> thank you, and congratulations on your book. Oh, I can't wait to so read much. it.
0: Thank and you so much, and please
1: keep in touch. Please let me know when this is going to air, so I can signal boost it and everything.
0: Okay, great. I will. I'll, awesome. f- I'll find you on Instagram in and awesome. Later. All right, bye. Thank, thank you so much. You. Have a great rest of your day.
1: Bye bye.
0: All right, I hope you loved that conversation. Go get her book. The sisters are all right. And definitely gift Dear Black Girl to any girls that you know would benefit from that. Uh, You can check out more from Tamara at harris.com for full show notes. Go to YourDroologist.com backslash podcast, and you'll find all the episodes there. For all things me, TrishaHuffman.com and YourDroologist.com. That's right. I'm starting to use my own URL right now. It's the same <laughs> right now. If you go to TrishaHuffman.com or YourDroologist.com, it's the same thing. But eventually, there will be two separate things. And I'm at underscore Trisha Huffman on since social media, still got Your Joyologist and Claim It podcast for the straight up podcast updates. I would love to hear from you. I love seeing you share the episode. I again, love reading reviews. Please leave a review, send it to me, podcast at podcast.yourjoyologist.com, send the screenshot and I will send you a gift. For the final thought of the day, I would love for you to consider what are you claiming for yourself right now?